0: We are on class number two going over worldview and the presuppositions of the three metaphysical realities. So we'll get into this breakdown, what that means. But starting here with a quote by Carl Sagan, he says the cosmos is all there is, all there was, and all there ever will be. So think of that statement for a second by Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan was a 20th century scientist, I believe he was atheist, and with this comment, what he's saying here is that the universe is all there is. The universe is all that has ever been and ever will be. So basically what he's saying here is everything that has always been has been material, has been something you could touch. We are physical. Everything is physical. So where does this leave room for God? Where does this leave room for morality? Where does this leave room for meaning? We are in a closed closed system, according to Carl Sagan, in the sense where there is no transcendent God who we receive information from. Everything we have is closed. Everything we have is within a circle. There is no opening of that circle we, where we receive new information, everything is closed, everything is material, and everything is cosmos, past, present, and future, which leads us into our discussion here on metaphysics. What is metaphysics? The definition of metaphysics is the study of the ultimate nature of reality, the origin, structure, and nature of what is real. So when you think of metaphysics, I think on the last lecture, I said, when a baby is born and they open their eyes and they stare at the ceiling that's above them, that is the beginning of a person's journey of understanding metaphysics, the reality of the world around them. The word meta in the word metaphysics means after or beyond, so it's a Greek word, and physica means physics or beyond nature. So what's beyond the material? These are metaphysical questions. So it literally means beyond the physical, beyond the physical world of sense perception. So, with that definition of metaphysics, back to Carl Sagan's quote, what would be his metaphysical reality? How would he define metaphysics with the statement he has made? So, when we think of metaphysics, what are we dealing with? Well, some questions that we can look at here are what does it mean? to exist as opposed to not exist? What sort of things exist? When we think of metaphysics, think of what is the nature of humanity? Are we free? Are we good? Are we bad? Are we neutral? An animal, what is an animal? How does an animal become into existence and how is an animal distinct from a human being? Were we seeded here by extraterrestrial life, as some people are beginning to believe more and more today? Have we evolved over random chance? Do we just imagine that we are here? Do we imagine that we exist? What are we comprised of? Are we simply a body? Are we simply a soul? Or are we a combination of both body and soul? Another metaphysical question, what is the nature of the universe? Is it objectively real, or does it simply just appear that it's here? Does God exist? If so, what is his nature? If so, which God exists? And what is the relationship between God and the universe? Is God personal? Is he knowable? Is he impersonal? Is God just something that Nietzsche said is, and we have comprised him over time to try to make sense of this world. We have made him up. Therefore, because of the advancements of knowledge, science, and technology, we no longer need him. So, as he would say, God is dead because he's simply a figment of our imagination. These are metaphysical questions. The questions here listed on the paper, they go into more depth, but that's kind of the general summary of it. The reality is metaphysics is important because we cannot escape the reality in which we live. So the goal for the Christian, and the goal for everybody really, is to understand the reality of the world around them. A Christian does this through scripture. An atheist does this through science and reason. A pantheist does this through personal, experiential, religious journeys. So each person has their own way of deriving what the nature of reality is. But regardless of what we think it is, it is what it is. We cannot change it. We cannot redefine it. We cannot escape it. We are bound by it. We live. We die. We all find ourselves on the same planet, in the same existence, in human bodies that eventually die. So for this reason, we must understand four key principles. And I think we mentioned these on the last lecture The principle of identity. For metaphysics, who am I? What is a human being? Existence. Why am I here? Meaning, what is the purpose of life? And destiny. What happens to me when I die? These are metaphysical questions. We are bound by metaphysics. We are in the world we live in. We are in the reality we are in. What is the nature of our existence? What is the nature of the world around us? That's the question that metaphysics tries to answer. And because of this reality that we find ourselves in, the most important questions that we can ask, who is God? Is there a God? Which God is the correct God? And what does he require of me? Very important questions, very important metaphysical questions for our own understanding and for, as Christians, evangelism to other people. So other metaphysical beliefs, if we take a look at philosophy as a whole, what people think, conclusions people have come up with in the past, to be able to define the nature of reality around us, what is the basic composition of the universe in which we live? A materialist would say everything in the world is material. There is no spiritual. Everything is material. The idealist would say the world is mind and the material matter is an illusion. So the materialist believes that nothing but matter exists. The idealist believes that the mind exists and there is no material, that it's simply an illusion. And a pantheist believes the world itself is divine. Not that there is a divine God in the sense that he's transcendent and imminent, personal, distinct from his creation, but that everything that exists is God or an extension of God. That's what a pantheist would believe. So the question is, is, do things change or do they stay the same? Another metaphysical question. There's some people who believe that everything remains unchanged. Others believe everything is in a constant state of change and only the forms remained unchanged while matter always changes. So there's debate with philosophy in the past as to whether things change and how they change. Another question people have asked is, does nature and history, is it working towards a goal? Or are things just randomly occurring without any direction? As Christians, we'd say that We live in what's known as a meta-narrative. There's a larger story, God's story of redemption from his eternal decree. That's the flow of history. But people who do not hold to the biblical worldview try to find a goal or a purpose for the flow of history. Some say it exists, others say that it does not, that everything takes place, has a purpose. Others say the only purpose that exists is that which we create for ourselves. And others say that everything is just ultimately meaningless. Another question that's asked is, do human beings have souls? Or are we just what our brains tell us to do? How does the human mind operate? What is the connection between cause and effect? So this is an interesting one here. A determinist, when it comes to cause and effect, would say everything, every event is caused by another event which creates a never-ending chain. No matter what you do, the future will happen the way that it is determined. That's how a determinist would view cause and effect. A behaviorist, on the other hand, would say, human beings are nothing more than machines responding to the impulse of stimuli. We are what our brain does. And a libertarian would say, people act without any other event causing them to do what they do because we have free will. So these are some basic understandings of the overall concept of metaphysics, and shifting gears from this is the question now that comes to mind, what is a worldview? We've been talking about worldview, what is it? A worldview, simply put, is a network of presuppositions, an entire system of assumptions, So a worldview is a network of presuppositions which are not tested by natural science. This is important to understand. Science doesn't determine presuppositions. Presuppositions come before science. Presuppositions can't be counted. They can't be weighed. They can't be measured. They can't be seen. They can't be heard. They can't be felt. So presuppositions are outside of any type of sensory experience. They are the immaterial beliefs that a person has in their own mind. Science can only test things that are material. Presuppositions are ideas. They are immaterial. They are what you bring with you when you see the evidence that comes from science and you interpret the evidence that you see from science. They're separate from science. They come before They are the foundations by which science stands, and sensory experiences are understood. So the immaterial beliefs, reason, logic, are what science depends upon. The scientist's foundation is the laboratory where they perform experiments. But science itself stands on the foundation of presuppositions in order to analyze the world. So science comes up with the evidence, but the evidence is not neutral. The evidence has to be interpreted. When scientific experiments are taking place, a person's reason, a person's intellect, a person's beliefs, a person's presuppositions are brought with them as they're conducting an experiment, as they're analyzing the information, and as they conclude their results. So an example of this, 1953, Francis Crick discovered the structure of DNA, and after looking at the complexity, which is beyond description of how intricate the structure of DNA is, his conclusion was, is that it was a product of evolution. So in other words, a product of random chance. Did the science tell him this? Or was this the conclusion he came to based upon his presuppositions? And yes, the latter is correct. Science didn't tell him that this evolved. This was a conclusion that he derived from the evidence in which he looked at. Now, when a Christian takes a look at the structure of DNA, what do we think happened? Obviously, an intelligent creator, a creator who has information, created the structure of DNA. There is no possible way that DNA evolved by random chance. So the presuppositions are key into interpreting what the scientist discovers. So a worldview then is a network of complex web of numerous beliefs organized in a system of truth used to make sense of the world around us. The Christian faith itself is a complex system of beliefs. We read scripture, we understand what it says, But I think at times we really don't see the significance of how our worldview and how detailed the Bible is in constructing our worldview. All worldviews have presuppositions they rely upon. These presuppositions are assumptions in which we interpret the facts around us. Francis Crick assumed DNA evolved, Christians assume it was created. Presuppositions are personal commitments. They are the building blocks of the foundation which the worldview rests. So, for the Christian, our presuppositions, God exists. The atheist presupposition, God doesn't exist. The atheist will say, matter is all that exists. Pantheists would say, the ideal is all that exists. So, we can see different backgrounds different beliefs, different faith based see God differently. Science itself is the study of material. But what an atheist wants to do is say that science is the reason why they believe what they believe. Science cannot prove the existence of God. Science cannot prove the non-existence of God. That is a presupposition. That is not science. So when a scientist says I go by the science, therefore I don't believe God, science is inadequate to provide that type of information. That is a pre-requirement. That is a presupposition. That is something that is believed when they step into the laboratory. So when a scientist steps into a laboratory, does his experiment, what he is doing is he's conducting an experiment based upon his presupposition that everything in front of him evolves by random chance over time. And if a Christian is doing an experiment, Their presupposition is what they are examining has been created by the mind of God. Two presuppositions. Both can be doing the same activity, but they have two different starting points. Presuppositions are the starting point by which everything else is interpreted and evaluated. Presuppositions hold the authority in a person's thinking, being treated as what is real. So the presuppositions are the building blocks. These are the non negotiable things. Presuppositions are really what a debate is all about. They're a network in terms of all experience being interpreted. Every person has a framework through which they understand the world. Nobody is neutral. Nobody interprets evidence without presuppositions. Nobody simply allows the facts to interpret themselves, because facts cannot do this. They must be interpreted. They are interpreted through a lens, the worldview of the individual who is standing over them. Everyone has a way of looking at the world. The most important question a person can ask themselves is, am I starting with the correct presuppositions when I am making sense? Of the world around me. So, the three starting points that we're going to take a look at now the presuppositions of the three metaphysical worldviews. So, what are the presuppositions of the pantheist? What are the presuppositions of the atheist? What are the presuppositions of those involved in the occult, in Hinduism, in Buddhism? And what are the presuppositions of the biblical Christian? So, Starting with the first one. Everything that exists came from nothing. So this is what we refer to as atheism, and they believe in evolution. They believe in the big bang, that in the beginning, nothing exploded, which created everything that we see. Everything came from an impersonal source. Everything formed over time by random chance. We are nothing more than energy particles, according to this worldview. So questions to consider when weighing the presuppositions of an atheist or a materialist or a secular humanist, they all fall under this category. Question, how does something come from nothing? How are morals defined? And why do morals even exist? Because morals are immaterial. Evolution is the evolution of matter over time. Morals are immaterial, so where do morals come from? And because there is no ultimate lawgiver because everything has come from the impersonal, how does personality exist? Everything is distinct but related. How? The meta narrative, the flow of history. How can there be any flow to history? How can there be any meaning? How can there be any purpose? How can there be any order if everything started from chaos? All of these questions are very challenging to the atheist's worldview, which show that their presuppositions can't be accurate because they cannot answer these questions. Now, a lot of times Richard Dawkins will come in and say, well, we're working on that. We're working on that. We're working to figure these things out. They've been working on this for a long, long time. They have not advanced this because their worldview cannot answer these questions. Starting from the material, from the impersonal, how do we derive to personal humanity with material all around us when everything has come ultimately from nothing? These are the questions that the Christians should be asking and challenging in opposition to the atheists' presuppositions. Another question we ask, how does a rational universe evolve from an irrational beginning or chaos by itself without any aid or without any assistance? It's another question that the atheists have been struggling to answer. Another question, where would any concept of rationality come from if everything is irrational? So here's a quote by... Richard Lewinton, the article in the New York Review, January 9th, 1997, page 31. So here's the atheist position. Here, let's, when I read this quote, think of all of the metaphysical presuppositions that this individual has and how much of these presuppositions they bring into their everyday life. So here's his quote. We take the side of science, in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs, in spite of its failure to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just-so stories, because we have a prior commitment, a commitment to materialism. So notice what he's saying here. All of these objections that we just raised in regard to their presuppositions. He's admitting these are rather unanswerable at best. It is not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a material explanation of the phenomenal world. But on the contrary, he says, that we are forced. Now listen to this. By our a priori adherence, meaning we are forced by our presuppositions that we bring with us to a material cause to create an apparatus of investigation and a set of concepts that produce material explanation, no matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the uninitiated. So what he's saying here is, We are so committed to material cause. We are so committed to there being no God who created us. We are so committed to everything happening by random chance. We are so committed to our presuppositions, no matter how foolish they are. And his final sentence here in his quote is, Moreover, that materialism is absolute. Going back to Carl Sagman's quote of the cosmos. For he says, we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. There it is. The reason that they are so committed to their presuppositions is because their prior commitment is to push God out of the culture. This article was written in 1997. It was very prominent back then. I remember I was in high school then. I remember that. But this has been going on for over 150 years in the United States and in Europe where Christianity, any concept of God, the biblical worldview, a creator, is being pushed out of mainstream culture. This, quote, openly admits that their presuppositions cannot answer some of the most basic questions of life. But regardless of how foolish it may seem, they are committed to pushing God out of the culture. So I think what we can see here is there is a bigger agenda than just trying to answer the difficult difficult questions of life. They want God eradicated. So what he's saying here is, even if the facts and evidence don't make sense, we have to make sure we do not allow a biblical God into the discussion. Hence, we have our modern day universities. And it's been this way at least since the 1960s in American culture. So we see the inconsistencies in their presuppositions. And we see how the biblical worldview answers those tough questions that the evolutionary worldview cannot. And there is the tension point. There's where we should be going. And showing how they are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, according to Romans chapter 1. That which is evident to them. That which is plainly seen. That a creator exists. That nothing cannot come from nothing. That order does not come out of chaos that matter just doesn't suddenly explode out of nothing and appear, that order and design and morality and personality, these things cannot exist according to an evolutionary worldview. It's impossible. They know this, but their main agenda is pushing the divine foot out of the door. Christian presuppositions have been attacked directly and indirectly for centuries. So they may not come out and state specifically that they are speaking against the Bible. They do so in a uh, very subtle way they chip away at the stone rather than coming at it with a sledgehammer for instance david hume his quote nothing can be more unphilosophical than to be positive or dogmatic on any subject think about that nothing can be more unphilosophical than to be positive or dogmatic on any subject who is he speaking about speaking about the christian He's speaking about the Christian who says, Thus saith the Lord, we know because God has said. He's saying there's nothing more unphilosophical than that. David Hume is. William Hazlitt, The great difficulty in philosophy is to come to every question with a mind fresh and unshackled by former theories. So what's he saying? A Christian always reads their biblical worldview into everything they do. That's what he's saying here. The only problem is every individual does that. Every individual brings their presuppositions and interprets what they see according to their worldview. The Christian's no different. But what they try to do is make the Christian feel guilty for doing this. So we set our presuppositions aside. They don't. If you go into a modern university, they don't set their presuppositions aside at all. Actually, what they do is they force them on you. So there is no neutrality here. We are at war whether we like it or not. William Seward said, The circumstances of the world are so variable that an irrevocable purpose or opinion is almost synonymous with a foolish one. Let me restate that. An irrevocable purpose or opinion is almost synonymous with a foolish one. God's ways are irrevocable. It's a clear blasphemy statement against God. So we see these quotes here. There's many of them. You can read through them. On on top of page 5 here, Looking at Chuck Colson's quote. Chuck Colson, a Christian, goes back to Watergate with Nixon, started a prison ministry, became a believer. He says Our educational establishment seeks to instill a passion for intellectual curiosity and openness, but allows for the existence of no truth worth pursuing. While in college, Christians should not be passive sponges, merely absorbing the material, but instead be active filters sorting out the issues through a biblical grid. A believer is never to drop their presuppositions. Rather, the Bible says we're tearing down the strongholds of the enemy with weapons of warfare, meaning the word of God. We're taking every thought captive. Everything we see, everything we hear every thought that enters our mind, everything we do is interpreted through the biblical lens. Not our own independent lens, not our own independent reason, our own independent experience, but rather everything that we see, think, do, hear, learn, read, everything is interpreted through the biblical lens. So that's the first worldview the atheist worldview of materialism, the anti-supernatural worldview. The second one is everything that exists had an impersonal beginning. Here we're getting into what's known as the pantheistic worldview. And what does this consist of? Consists of the New Age, Hinduism, Buddhism. If you read Christian history, the first century, second century, they were battling with Gnosticism. Today you hear of the occult, and there's various forms of the occult. Scientology, it's a Gnostic-based cult. The occult also finds itself in Rosicrucianism. All sorts of isms that we see here that fall under pantheism, which teaches everything came from an impersonal source. Everything formed over time by random chance. All matter is illusion, so they do not believe that the material world exists. This is just an illusion. All that exists, according to a pantheist, is mind. So we get idealism. Everything is a mental context. There is no such thing as true objective reality and the context where we all see the world through our own prism. We all think, we all understand of a thing as objective there are different ways to look at the object. So we all think we have our own objective opinion. But if you have a million different people looking at the same thing, you're going to have a million different opinions. So nobody has the corner of the truth. Every experience you have is happening to you and for you. Whether you are conscious of it or not is up to you. Filters need to be removed. Be still. So what this worldview teaches is, you do not understand your own divinity because you have filters in your mind that block you from seeing the true nature of who you are. The process of removing these filters will allow you to see that you are of the divine essence. You are divine yourself. Through yoga, through transcendental meditation, through saying mantras, there are various ways in which help a human remove these filters to see the divinity within them. What they want to do, according to the occult, is open up the chakra, the third eye, which is in. Be- if you touch the center of your forehead. you Notice in India, there will be people who wear those red dots on their forehead. That's the chakra. That's the third eye. That's what they refer to as the awakening, understanding of your own divinity. This is what it teaches. So the you inverse principle, you you are stated clearly, your higher self projecting back to you. So when you are enlightened, your higher self is now being projected back to you. Your own sense of divinity becomes understandable. This is your unconscious mind. That's why they call it enlightenment and awakening. You have to awaken your unconscious divinity within you, the lens which you see the world. This has to be experienced. It can't be taught. So your own judgments are based upon your own present lens. Your consciousness needs to be enlightened to see things more clearly. So you don't see things clearly because you don't recognize that you are God. Remember in Genesis 3, this is the same thing that Satan offered Adam and Eve. You shall be like God, knowing good and evil. It's the same lie. Pantheism, Hinduism, the New Age, Buddhism, Gnosticism, the occult. It's the same lie that Satan offered Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It's just repackaged. Questions we are to consider now to this worldview. How do we account for human personality? So if God is impersonal and we are just an emanation or an extension of God, we can understand how we're all unified because we're all coming from the same source. But where do we account for diversity? If we are all just a simple extension of God, why are we diverse? See, the Christian has the answer because we are all created in God's image, but God is triune, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He's one, but he's three persons. So we have unity. We're all from God. We also have diversity in Christianity because of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. With pantheism, we all come from the same source. So we should all just simply be the same, but we're not. We're distinct. We're different. We have different beliefs, different worldviews, different opinions. Where does this come from? Another question. How do we account for morals and ethics? If everything is an extension of God, if everything is God, the chair I'm sitting on, the sun, you, me, if everything is God, then everything simply is. But what morals and ethics do is they say something is right and something is wrong. It's ingrained in our human nature. If God is impersonal and unknowable, according to pantheism, where does morality come from? Everything should just be. There shouldn't be right and wrong. There should, should just simply be. Things exist because it's an extension of God. It has to be the way it is. There can't be a value system put on it because they're both God. And this is the same problem the materialists, those who believe in evolution, have. How do absolute morality come from an impersonal material universe? You can't have absolute morality. You really wouldn't even have morality. Where would it come from if we're all nothing but material? If we don't have a moral source to look at, if we don't have a moral source to learn from, how does that concept even come into human existence? Now, back to pantheism, the same question. Whether the overall flow of history, if God is impersonal, why is there a personal flow to history? How do we have any meaning? How do we have any purpose? And how do we have any order? So the same questions we ask to the materialist, we can also ask to the pantheist, in trying to make sense of this world. And finally, in conclusion, the third metaphysical reality is everything was created by a personal, infinite, triune God. And this is the worldview of the Bible. God created all things. Genesis 1.1, God created time, space, and matter. God sets the rules. He is the source of knowledge. He defines reality. We exist because God willed for us to exist. He did not have to create us, but he chose to. He created us for the purpose of worship and fellowship. God is personal. What does this mean? We have personality because God has personality. We think because God thinks. We love because God loves. Personality cannot come from an impersonal source. It's impossible. So pantheism and atheism both have a difficult question of of answering why we have personality as human beings. God is infinite. Everything that exists must have a cause. Nothing can exist without a cause. God created time, space, and matter, and humanity. So God is our cause. God is the cause of all things. God does not need to be caused himself because he never came into existence. People say, okay, so God caused us. What caused God? The answer is nothing. Nothing caused God. Why? Because he never came into existence. He's eternal. He's infinite. Something that's infinite doesn't need a cause. But everything that is finite, which is every human being, we need a cause, which is God. Infinite God. This is why it's important that we have an infinite reference point. Nothing can exist without an infinite reference point. Our infinite reference point is God himself. Thirdly, God is triune. What we see in the Trinity is fellowship. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit have been in constant fellowship for all eternity. We communicate. We fellowship with one another because we're created in the image of God. This is what the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been doing for all eternity. They've been in perfect harmony, perfect love. You notice that those who abandon the Christian worldview are seeking utopia. They're seeking peace. You remember the 1960s, the counterculture, the peace, the peace symbol. Everybody wants peace. Everybody wants utopia in their own way, in their own way of bringing it about. We want to be at rest, but with our sinful nature and our sinful heart, we can't. The presence of sin corrupts the morality within us. But the reason that we want to get along, the reason that we bond, the reason that we have fellowship is because we're created in the image of God who's been doing this for all eternity. We are reflecting that character. So these are the three worldviews and the presuppositions behind them. Next lesson will continue.